0: Using like, the right words and, and formatting them in a specific way, you can reliably do this over and over and over again. And by finding out more about your customer, you can really create products and value propositions that are on point every time, reliably, again and again.
1: Hello, listeners real quick, funny story about today's guest. Sometimes when we're done recording the interview, there's so much more magic that happens. And I want to share a quick story because I didn't get it recorded, but my guest today is Sarah Weiss. She's the CEO of award-winning marketing research agency, Bixa, and she's also the best-selling author of Instabrain, which is all about the new rules for marketing to Gen Z. And she's she's got a great story. I'm going to let her tell that instead of reading it to you of how she got started. But what was so cool and so timely about today and all the things that we're going through in our world is that she she usually gets a ton of business from her speaking gigs. And I think she said she had to cancel, um, almost 30 of them since COVID. So almost 30 of them have been canceled this year. And so she really pivoted and hunkered down and said, okay, we need to start figuring out different partnerships so that we can rev up business. So that, that source of where she normally got her business from was now, you know, done. Not done, but just for the time being, just super, super not happening. And so she did that and went out and got some partners and she's actually going to have her best year ever. I love stories like that. And we didn't get to talk about it on the actual podcast. We talked about it afterwards. So I was like, I have to share this with our listeners. So many good things. And she's, she's just really just an awesome person all around. And I'm really excited to, to work with her with, with our business and to also have our clients work with her because we're talking about market research on a level that everyone should be thinking about. So if you have ever asked the question, why is my marketing not working? We're probably going to answer that question for you in this interview. And you'll, you'll understand the things that you can do, whether you're working with a company like Bixa or somebody like Sarah, or you're just going out there to do it on your own. You'll learn what you can be doing. And you might have questions like, how do I even begin to do marketing? market research. Who do I even look for? What are what are the amount of people that I need to do this to get relevant answers? What types of things should I be asking or having having these people do in this research? Those are all very valid questions and we're talking about all of them in today's interview. So, thanks so much for tuning in and enjoy. Welcome Sarah to Backstage Business. I'm so thrilled to have you here. This has been a long time in the making and we're finally chatting it up together. So welcome. Thanks so much for having me on. All right, so I I'm going to start with I'm going to start with you <laughs> telling your story of how you got to do the work that you're doing today, which is really, really important work and our listeners are going to learn a ton from you. So I'm really excited for for what you're about to drop. So let's go
0: all right well i run a market research company called bixa bixaresearch.com and we do i love the work we do because we do research with all sorts of different customers and so we help companies figure out who their customers are how their products fit into the lives of customers you know what the buying journey is like what touch points they can reach them at and really optimize their marketing strategies their business strategies We do new market validation for new products. And it's just so fun to hang out with a whole bunch of different types of customers in a whole bunch of different types of industries. I mean, even last week, I was doing interviews with CFOs making of medical practices making decisions about malpractice insurance. And then I was hanging out with thrift store shoppers on the same day. So oh, nice. Like totally different customers for totally different businesses. And I just I love diving into the minds and hearts of customers and figuring out, you know, what products they buy, how they buy, what they love, what they hate, you know, and everything in between. Really kind of pink painting a clear picture for companies about who their customers are.
1: Well, what were the main challenges and problems that you saw happening that made you see that this was necessary work to be done?
0: Well, I started I started out my career a long, long time ago. Um, I studied marketing, and I thought I was going to go into marketing. My first job was in the sports marketing agency. It was a lot of um, begging for money and, and licking envelopes, to be honest with you. And after that... I decided to go into (laughs) consulting, and somebody said, somebody told me at the time, they were like, oh, if you go into consulting, it's really interesting work because you never have the same client for more, you know, you're never working on the same project for more than, like, a month or so. So if you've got ADD, it's really great. (laughs) If you just want to change the scenery, you'll have new clients all the time. And so I went into consulting, and I worked at Booz Allen Hamilton for 13 years, and I thought I was going to be there for just a couple of years, but ended up loving all the different types of work. And when I got there, this was back in 2005 and they said, okay, I walked in and they said, Hey, you're a new um, usability specialist. And I was like, use, use a what? And I, I'd been trained in marketing. And so I was like, what, what does that mean? And they were like, Oh, it's, it's about whether people can use websites of, of companies and and their apps and things like that. And and by apps, you know, it wasn't phone apps at the time. It was like application, software applications on the websites. And yeah. so they handed me a book. It was, it was Steve Krug's Don't Make Me Think. And they were like, read this book. You have, it was my first day. They go, read this book. You have a client meeting at two o'clock this afternoon. And remember, you know more than the client. <laughs> <laughs> and that's literally how I got started in usability. And then within maybe a year or two, I realized it's not just about can they use a website, it's about will people use the website. And so I started diving more into the actual market research instead of user research and getting into kind of the minds and like psychographic profiles of people and really diving deep into personas and journeys of customers who were coming to websites, um, audiences who were coming to government sites, or any, you know, using any sort of digital product. And then, you know, 13 years later, I ended up starting my own company doing just that. And working, and since then we've worked with, Every, you know, huge companies like Google and Capital One and big companies like that, all the way to small, tiny startups. Like we have a partnership with a really awesome accelerator out of Phoenix and we, we do new market validation for startups all the time too. So it's, it's really a, a, a fascinating role for me just to learn about new,
1: new customers and, and all different types of people and customers. Well, what is that process like? I mean, I'm sure it's a lot to go into on, in one episode, but I would love for our listeners to be able to take away some things that they could implement themselves and really understanding because that's the biggest thing is sometimes people have this amazing service or product and, or, you know, I'm sure you've seen this with startups. A lot of the time it's a genius idea, but they're just marketing to the wrong people or it's not what their market wants at all.
0: Right. It happens all the time. And so what we do is we kind of do a sandwich method is what I call it because that kind of (laughs) talks talks about what it is. It's a sandwich method of qual, quant, and qual research. So we will do deep dive interviews up front to just talk to the people who the company thinks are their customers like just here's our hypothesis, hypothesis, this is who we think we've been selling to, go talk to those customers. So we'll do qualitative research and talk with them. And then after that, we'll do some quantitative research. We'll basically, by then, we will have formed some hypotheses about whether these really are the right customers or what this specific customer needs, things like that. And we'll do a quantitative study A survey or a video diary study or something like that, where we're talking, seeing if those hypotheses really scale across a larger population. And then we'll wrap it up with another round of qualitative research where we're diving into, we we find things in the quantitative studies where we're like, wow, I really wish we had asked questions about that. So we just plan that in and, and go ahead and ask those questions. Um, and I think a lot of research companies, they're not doing it in that fashion. They start out with a some qualitative and then they do a survey and then they're done. Or they just do a quick survey and then they, they do some qualitative and they're done. Um, we also, you know, especially since COVID, we've been doing a lot more video studies, video diary studies, things like that. For example, we were working with a major coffee company. And instead of doing focus groups or, you know, in-home ethnography or something like that, we asked people to take out their phones and just every time they brewed coffee for a period of four days, take a video of themselves brewing coffee. And you know what we found? We found that this particular audience, 10% of them brewed coffee in their bathrooms. Really? And. Really? Like the coffee company had no idea. They were like, we've done focus groups. We've done interviews. And we ask people, where do you brew coffee? And they tell us their kitchen. And we're like, yeah, they do brew coffee in their kitchen, but they also have a secondary machine in their bathrooms. This one particular audience. And it was funny because it was a lot of like moms of young children, <laughs> which is yeah. kind of funny. And they were the reasoning that they because they were describing in their little selfie videos of themselves brewing coffee while their coffee was brewing, they would say things like, Oh yeah, if I leave the if I leave my bedroom, if I go into the kitchen, like the craziness has started and I don't get my five minutes to myself, but no, I'm gonna brew it in my bathroom next to my bedroom because and get my like five minutes to myself before I go out into the hallway, or before I go to the kitchen, or before somebody needs something from me.
1: Well, let's let's give an example, actually, of how somebody who is, you know, our business owners that are listening right now for the various services and products that they offer, what is something that they can do to get something similar with with oh. video? Oh, with video,
0: yeah. There's, you can just ask your customers to to take a video and describe something for themselves or even record their screens. We do a lot of screen recording studies too. So when we were when we were doing a project for Google News, we actually had people anytime they a certain audiences, every time they looked up news on their phone for a series of 4 days, we had them just turn a screen recording on and record their screen and tell us where they were going, what apps they were using, why they were using certain apps, and answer a few questions. And yeah, that's so smart. You learn so much from them. You learn so much from that. Just watching people, watching people's behavior, Over, you know, when, they, when they're doing some specific task that's related to your business. We've done that for a fitness app in the past where we're like, hey, every time you're doing an at-home workout, just record your screen and show us where you're going, what apps you're using, and the company that we were doing this pro- that research for, they learned about competitors they didn't even know about.
1: Yeah, exactly. How what are ways that people can learn more about the challenges and the problems and the things that their customers really, really want solved? Like what is? what are some creative ways to ask them to where they actually feel motivated and inspired to give you those answers and to actually film themselves or, or do these things? So it doesn't even need to be a
0: video, really. It could be as low tech as a phone call or a quick Zoom call. Everybody's got Zoom today. So you could just hop on the phone or on a quick Zoom call with a customer or a potential customer and ask them to walk you through a process of them buying a new piece of software or them doing something that's related to your business and to talk through the, ch- ask them about the challenges. What's, what's difficult about that? We just did a, a study with a company that was creating a new um, software for field technicians. So if you've got a, a company that has a cleaning crew that goes out or, or um, an HVAC crew that goes out or something like that. It was a software specifically for that. And we just asked service professionals, hey, what, what's really difficult when you're scheduling service calls, home service calls for, for the day or for the week? What's hard about that? And we got so much feedback just from asking that simple question. I don't think it's a, you necessarily have to inspire people or <laughs> to, to tell you about it. You just have to ask. And it, yeah, and no,
1: that's it's true. Really What about, what about, do you ever offer them something in exchange for their opinion? Or is it more like, we're just going to ask and we'll probably get more honest, heartfelt answers by those who actually want to respond? Oh, we almost always pay people. Yeah. Okay. No, that's what I'm wondering. Cause I'm sure that's a question that people are like, well. But it can be, it can be small.
0: I mean, we just did. We just got done doing um, 500 in-store interviews with thrift store shoppers and we were offering people $5 to give us 15 minutes of their time to talk about their shopping experience so we could like kind of walk along with them in the store. You know, six oh, feet apart yeah. with a mask. Yep. <laughs> but we were walking along with them and and we were like, hey, can we just tag along with you as you shop? And we'll ask you some questions. And what's in your basket right now? Tell me about that. And, and why did you come into the store today? And what were you here for? And how did you learn about this store? And just asking those type of questions and having a conversation led to a great deal of data on persona segmentation on audience segmentation, creating the right personas, getting your ideal target audience. It let them know who the competitors really were. It turned out for this store, they thought that the competitors were other thrift stores. And it turned out their major competitors were actually big box stores like a TJ Maxx or a Marshalls. And they had no idea that they were even in that realm of competitor. So I I think it's, It's really interesting
1: to just have open-ended exploratory conversations with your customers. I've been talking with you a lot about the importance of having a great elevator pitch. And as you've probably heard on Amy Porterfield's podcast, an elevator pitch is super important because it's a single statement that clarifies the unique value you bring to your customers. And it almost compels prospects to do business with you on the spot. You already know that you can have the team at the draw shop, create your pitch for you, but maybe you'd prefer I give you all the tools you need to create your own. Well, that's exactly what I did. So here's what I have for you. I put together a special package, a veritable DIY elevator pitch toolkit that combines everything you need to not only create your own awesome elevator pitch, but even the super cool graphics you can use to help you tell the story just like we do at the draw shop and the really good news because you're doing it yourself with the tools we supply, it'll cost you about 90% less than having us do it for you head over to thedrawshop.com forward slash toolkit. And this is important. Make sure you scroll down to the bottom of the page and check out the four free bonuses you're getting, including that collection I just mentioned of a -a one-of-a-kind graphics designed by our artists that you can use in your very own elevator pitch. I really think this could be the perfect solution if you understand the value and importance of having an elevator pitch, but prefer to be a little bit more hands-on with it. And don't forget, scroll down to see the free bonuses at thedrawshop.com forward slash toolkit. I hope this helps. Okay, back to the episode. Absolutely. I mean, there <laughs> it's so important and it's it's interesting how often people will forget that, but also I think what's important is that things change, you know, not even just, okay, you know, going through a pandemic and different needs and problems change, but just in, you know, normal life, things evolve and change and you have to revisit it. How often do you think that people need to revisit what those, what's important to their customers?
0: Well, today more than ever, because your customer back in we were talking about this right before we we went on yeah. this call that your customer back in February is not the same customer today and because we went through this global pandemic i mean there people are shopping differently they're buying differently even though the you know the thrift store even in the thrift store example i was just using they're selling they're making about the same amount of revenue but the number of shoppers has decreased and but the basket size has increased so it's interesting that they're shopping less but they're buying more at each time that they go out wow. and so even just the buying behavior of of the same exact shoppers has has shifted
1: Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk about B2B and that type of relationship and doing that type of market research. Yeah, people
0: believe that it's really different than B2C, but honestly, you are selling to people. You're still selling to people. And as long (laughs) as you get the buyer, you can talk, as long as you can find that exact person in the company who's buying your product or making a decision to buy, Um, you can very easily ask them what their challenges are what they're looking for in a product. And that helps you create products and marketing strategies that are on point for your unique customer. Like the promise you're offering has to hit home. I mean, every marketer knows that. The, this copy and the images you're using, they need to grab attention in less than, what, 10 seconds or something like that. And if, if it's a Gen Z audience, whoo, it's like seven to eight seconds. Right. So by using like the right words and, and formatting them in a specific way, you can reliably do this over and over and over again and by finding out more about your customer you can really create products and value propositions that are on point every time reliably again and again
1: yes i love that you said they're just people and it's true you're still you're still interacting with a human being just because they are representative of a business doesn't mean they're not you know and it's i think people do actually try to get a little bit too businessy when they are talking to people. And and at the end of the day, they are just human beings and they have emotions too. And if you are triggering those emotions, the things that are like, wow, you hear the problem I have, you can actually, you have a solution for it. And at the end of the day, if I buy with you, you're going to make life better all the way around. And you don't have to be talking to the CEO or the VP or whoever. It can be whoever has that, whoever is that decision maker is going to feel super stoked that they're doing something awesome for their business. And that alone is is a trigger to be like, yes, I want to work with you. Absolutely. Like
0: emotional marketing is real, even for B2B customers. I mean most of the decisions we make are are made on an emotional level and then of course we justify them by with logic based things that follow it up. But even B2B buyers are making emotional decisions. We have to tap into the challenges and the anxieties they have and and help them relieve those pain points.
1: Yeah, and I think the biggest thing is understanding what those emotions are instead of going straight to the logic. And I'm sure you're an expert in this, but it's, it's so critical because people often, when they, when they talk about the things that they do, it is on that logic level. You know, this is, this is the thing I solve. This is, this is, we Get people to understand their market better. But if you can go to a deeper level and have them really understand why that's so important, and that's with any business, really understanding like the emotional level of why somebody cares about getting their car fixed, right? Or why somebody mm-hmm. cares about getting the cheaper item at the thrift store, whatever it is. Yeah. <laughs> like, why is that important to them and understanding that?
0: Yeah. And there's certainly techniques we can use in our market research to do that and that you can use, anybody listening can use too. I mean, it's not, it's not some magic formula ask them how they feel that's something that that p- a lot of people are uncomfortable asking but a simple question like oh how does thrift store shopping make you feel whoa that can tell you a lot yeah. I mean some people may I was expecting when we asked that question in stores people were going to be like oh it's kind of stressful because I'm saving on finances and blah 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 but actually most people were like I come here to relax it's so relaxing. I, I use this as therapy. Like people were using those type of words to talk about the way that they, they walk around a thrift store.
1: Yeah. It's amazing. It's, it's not just that surface level stuff. Well, I needed some toothpaste, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so just asking them how they feel. Also, we
0: do a lot of reflecting. So we'll guess at the emotions that they're feeling and will often intentionally guess wrong so that they can correct us oh i like so that we'll often say oh wow that must have been really stressful when that happened and they will correct us and say actually it wasn't that stressful i was actually pretty relieved that this this and this happened or or we'll say oh that must have really annoyed you and they they'll say things like i wasn't annoyed i was livid and so you really kind of get the, the emphasis that there's a range of emotions along even like an annoyed to livid scale or something like that. There's really a, a range of emotions. And if you can pinpoint the emotion that's going on and really tap into that, you're, you're way ahead of the game. Yeah, exactly. I, I want to go back to something you said about B2B customers, though. You said um, you really have to find the decision makers. And I, I, something about that made me think of all the clients we had that thought that their decision maker in a B2B situation was the director of marketing or the CEO or some top level executive, whoever signs the check. But yeah. actually, the decision maker was maybe a mid-level manager, who pushed for this and got the CEO to sign. Ah, yeah. That's so, so important. And so a lot of times people haven't figured out who the right person is to talk with. And we often get clients come in and say, oh yeah, I want to talk to directors of marketing or I want to talk to the director of
1: HR at, at these types of companies when in fact they don't need that. Yeah, that's so interesting. And I think, especially in in- today's world when people are really they're really understanding how they're that level right there and their frontline has the most value and has the most information for them because they're in it they're in it so much more than the vps you know what i mean like they're in where the customer base is
0: yeah and people they like they support what they create so if you can get them bought in and like working with you to sell something that's going to be so much more powerful when they take it to their boss
1: to sign off. So true. Yes. So true. Well, let's talk about some smaller, let's, you know, you were talking about startup businesses. Sure. And I can't even tell you how many stories, I mean, we're, we're, people are starting at businesses all the time. I can't even tell you how many stories that where people were so thrilled and excited about their product. And it did, it would sound really impressive and awesome. And then when they released it, it was just kind of nobody cared. And so part of their whole thing, it wasn't until they got to that point that they finally said, okay, obviously I need, this isn't just something that I wanted for me. I actually needed to do more research on my market. And so it forced them into doing that. So it was like a very expensive, but valuable mistake.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Um, And we see that all the time. I
1: mean, we do a lot of new market
0: validation and I want, I want to say a lot of the The issues come when people don't understand where to contact their customer on the spectrum of making a buying decision. So a lot of people starting a new company. Let's say it's a service, some sort of service business, like some sort of professional service, like personal branding or or something like that. They will go, okay, who do I know who works at this type of company? And they just try and start talking to people, and start using their networks. And that that's great for warm leads that will eventually get you business six months to a year down the line, but. That person might do better off with a like a Google ads campaign so that they can tap into the person who wants to buy right now so right there they need to, you need to think also in terms of it's not just who is the person, what is the persona, but also what is the buying journey of that person and where are they currently on the buying journey? Are they close to making a decision or are they just toying with the idea of hiring a personal branding company in that example.
1: Right. Right. Exactly. So if you are in that new, new stage of, I have an idea, Mm -hmm. when, I mean, when is the very best time to actually start your market research and know who you're talking to. I think I know the answer.
0: Right <laughs> a, right away. I mean, yeah. the first thing before you can start and this is what I tell almost all of the new new ventures I work with is I want to, I would want to know what are the assumptions you're making? Can you identify those? So really spend a good amount of time saying I'm assuming that you know this particular client in this particular region is going to buy this. Or I'm assuming that this is going to happen or that is going to happen. So write down all the assumptions that you know that, that you're making about your, you know, to make your business successful. All these assumptions have to be in play.
1: And then we'll go ahead and validate each assumption individually. Oh, I love that. That's really smart because most of the time that is what we're doing. We, we start something... Even within our, our own businesses, if we start a new service, we think, okay, this would be great. Don't you think all of these people would want this or that? And then if you finally ask them, they may or may not. But I, it's, it's really I, interesting how much we do assume. As an example, I was working with a new startup who
0: was creating, just, just last week, who was creating a like a men's self-care shop. <laughs> For all sorts of self-care, everything from haircuts and nails to, like, massages and microdermabrasions and all sorts of fitness regimens, nutrition stuff. Anyway, they assumed that men in a certain zip code making a specific amount of money would go to a facility to get kind of like a prescription for self-care. And they called it a prescription. And they assumed that the term prescription was going to resonate for self-care. They made the assumption that the barber was really was the most important part of this whole thing because people love their <laughs> barbers. We have no idea if any of that was true. You know, we, right. we have actually just went through a workshop where we literally walked three people through, you know, this company through what are those assumptions? And they listed them all out and they were like, wow, there's a lot of assumptions there. And I was like, okay, well now we can, we know the goals of our research are to validate, you know, these 10 assumptions that you have.
1: So now the question is how much, how many people, how many customers that you are validating with? will actually give you a good a good a good enough result. Oh, so that's, easy, like, that's an have- easy
0: one. Like I oh, can give do- <laughs> Yeah, that's an easy one.
1: I'll give you a tool. There's a
0: calculator. Sample just google um, sample size calculator. What I'm going to i use the RaoSoft one, r a o s o f t, but there's a ton of them online. You go on online raosoft.com/sample size. And you can literally type in the population size. You can say, I want it at a ninety five percent confidence interval with a five percent margin of
1: error. And it will tell you exactly how many people you need to interview or you need to survey. Oh wow. So now when you say population, are you talking about are you talking about the amount of numbers, say, on your email list or are you talking about in your market nationwide? So, okay.
0: So, you know, whatever geography you're in, if you're if you're nationwide, let's talk about nationwide. How many people are there? Twenty thousand in the in the nation that are, you know, HR managers that buy a specific type of software. If you're B two B, you know, right. um, or something like that. What is that total population that you would sell to? And so, uh, let's say there's twenty thousand. In a population, let's say you want a ninety-five percent margin of error with a fi- or ninety-five percent confidence level with a five percent margin of error, your recommended sample size is three
1: hundred seventy-seven. Oh, okay. So not with, so overwhelming. It, no, it's
0: not overwhelming. And honestly, like even for pop, the sample size doesn't even change that much for populations larger than twenty thousand. So people think that they have to survey thousands and thousands of people to get a good distribution. And you really don't, especially if you're doing a combination of qual and quantitative research, like qualitative research and quantitative research. Cause you're, if you're deep diving into even just 20 really good deep dive interviews, and then you do a survey of 200, maybe 250 participants, even if you've got a really good population size, you're going to know with a great deal of certainty whether or not your product is going to sell and how to sell it and what messaging is going to work. The language people are using. I, I mean, all of that.
1: So if you've got that number now and you are um, somebody who has the idea in startup, I'm, I'm going like bare minimum here, right? Yeah. For, to, so to answer say, those burning questions. Let's say you, you're a startup and you don't have a lot of funds and you're like,
0: what can I do with bare minimum funds? So you interview I would say you can get trends from five or six people, bare minimum. You interview five to six people. You find out what they're all saying. You identify your assumptions, and then you use that information to create a large-scale survey. At that point, you probably, let's say your samples, how many are in your population? 20,000. You probably only need 250 to maybe 275 in your sample size on your survey. So as long as you're finding the the right people there and you can go to a recruiting company, you can come to us at BixarResearch.com to find those people, but you can, you know, shameless plug there. But I mean, you can, as long as you're getting the right 250 people to do that. I mean, and if you're looking for, if you're like, hey, I've I've interviewed 30 people. I've got a really good idea of this. I don't need a a 5% margin of error. I can accept a 10% margin of error. And you want a, you know, a 95% confidence interval with a 10% margin of error, you only need 96 people to survey at that point. So it really depends on your comfort level of how much confidence you
1: want, how much uncertainty you can tolerate. Well, so that was the next thing is this is something you could go out and, and, and do yourself, which still to me, I'm always like, <laughs> like to leave it to the experts.
0: Well, Um, yeah, it could probably do that. There's a couple different reasons you would want to leave it to the experts. So, and I'm not just saying this as a market researcher, but after seeing lots of, I I get lots of entrepreneurs who have tried it themselves and then come to us because they say things like, there's a lot of confirmation by us. They're like, hey, people said this. They said this over and over and over again when I asked them. But sometimes it's really just because they they asked it a certain way or they told people I'm the CEO of this company or I'm the founder of this company. Hey, do you like this idea? And then, you know, it's the social pressure to go like, oh yeah, it's a great idea. Uh Uh-huh. And there's not that independent third party
1: asking the questions. That is so true. It's that whole, you know, your business so well, you know, these things you're going to kind of, eh, you're you're just going to somebody else is going to hear it differently and see it differently, another, which is another thing, awesome.
0: Another mistake I see a lot is that people say, would you buy this product? And guess what? 95% of the times, I don't care what product it is. People say, yeah, I'd probably buy that. So they're not asking the right question instead of, would you buy this product? It's like you, you ask the question, Oh, what did you struggle with last time? Okay.
1: How, what did you do about that challenge? That is so true because I think a lot of people too, when you ask a question like that, would you buy this product? People are probably want to generally be nice. Sure, yeah, I'd buy that product. Well, they may
0: may actually think that they would buy that product, but people honestly, as a whole, human beings are so bad predicting their future behavior that (laughs) actually a better indicator is their past behavior. So have you bought a piece of software in the past and they say yes to that, that means that you, prob- that you are more likely to buy a piece of software in the future for that particular challenge. Like you've tried to solve that problem before. Yes. Um, and we actually, we, have, we use that in our screener criteria for a number of people where, let's say for that personal branding example I used earlier, we did a survey where we were trying to find people who would pay for basically a personal branding service of some kind. And so we asked how much have you spent on your personal brand brand, you know, your logo, your website, anything in the past. And they had to answer that they spent over $2,500 over the past two years, just to be a part of the survey. So we Mm. disqualified them based on if they have not like spent money on this in the past, they likely will not do it in the near future. So they're probably not our audience and we don't want to spend money to, to interview
1: them. Right. Exactly. Okay. So if people are listening, they're just like, this all sounds awesome. I actually need to do this. However, I don't have the bandwidth. I don't want to do it myself. I don't feel confident that I'd ask the right questions because a, a lot of us as entrepreneurs would probably ask the right questions for somebody else, but not for our own business. It just happens. It's just kind of the way it is. All the time. Yes. <laughs> yes. So where where can they go you mentioned it before let's say it again we'll also have it in the show notes but where can they go to find more information and potentially work with you Yeah you can go to bixaresearch.com and
0: on the website it's b i x a research.com and on the website there's even a calendar where you can just hop on a strategy session with me and with me or someone from my team and we can tell you exactly, you know, what, what we think you should do <laughs> in a very yeah. short amount of time awesome. um, where you can actually tell us, hey, we're starting, I'm starting this, this company or I work for a company that's launching new product or our marketing isn't working or since COVID, I'm not sure who my customer is. You know, you can
1: tell us all that and we'll and- give you a recommendation. And I think you just said, which I would guess is the most popular reason is our marketing is not working. That's what's frustrating for for so many people. Our marketing's not working. And this would be such a great thing to do to realize who you're actually speaking to and what they want from you. Mm-hmm.
0: Absolutely. That's that's one of the main reasons. We get a lot of new, new products, even if it's from a big company as well. Like I'm launching a new product and I'm not yeah. sure if it's,
1: the same user as my other product or something like that. I love it. Bixaresearch.com. Oh my gosh, Sarah, this was so great. Obviously. Oh yeah.
0: For your listeners too, I can also offer you a free chapter of my book. If you go to Bixaresearch.com slash free chapter, you will get a free chapter of InstaBrain, the new rules for marketing to Gen Z. And that covers a lot of market research. I'm not sure how many people out there are marketing to Gen Z, but if you are, I do have a best-selling
1: book out there and you can get a, the first chapter for free and you can hop on my email list too that way. Oh, that's awesome. Thank you so, so much. This is so great. I'm, I'm thinking about things in a whole different way, which I love. Those are my favorite interviews. So I appreciate your time so much. This was so, so informative. I think so many people are thinking differently about you know, how they're learning from their customers. And this, is, this would definitely be a game changer for any business.
0: Well, thank you so much for having me on the show. Thanks, everybody.
1: Hey guys, I just want to say thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you haven't already done so, would you do me a favor and go subscribe and review this podcast? My goal is to continue to deliver you content that will really move the revenue needle in your business and give you up-to-date content on anything else that can dramatically help your business. You can also find us at thedrawshop.com slash podcasts, where you can comment on the podcast or contact us directly with any issues you'd like me to address. Thanks again. I really, really appreciate you listening and I'll see you next time.